Hey everyone, this is Eliza D, and welcome back for another episode of How to Save the Planet, a show where we interview people who have jobs in climate change or environment. Now, let's get started. With us today, we have Chris Linder. Chris Linder is an award-winning professional photographer, filmmaker, workshop leader, and lecturer. Linder earned an undergraduate degree in oceanography from the U.S. Naval Academy and a master's degree from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. After working as a naval officer and an oceanographic researcher, he transitioned to, to visual storytelling. Since 2002, Linder has, has photographed more than 50 scientific expeditions and has spent over two years of his life exploring the polar regions. Linder's images have appeared, have appeared in museums, books, calendars, and international magazines, including Audubon, Geo, Nature's Best, Outdoor Photographer, Photographer, Smithsonian, and Wired. He has published three books, including The Big Thaw, Ancient Carbon, Modern Science, and A Race to Save the World, Mountaineers, Braided River, 2019, and Science on Ice, Four Polar Expeditions, University of Chicago Press, 2011. He was the lead cinematographer and the co-producer of the the 2015 feature-length documentary film, Antarctic Edge, 70 Degrees South. In addition to his assignment work, Linder also teaches teaches photography field workshops and presents dynamic multimedia lectures to audiences of all ages. He is a senior fellow in the International League of Conservation Photographers, a fellow in the Explorers Club, and a member of the Sea Legacy Collective. Hello and welcome, Chris, to How to Save the Planet. Thanks very much for having me. Yes, thank you for coming on. So can you tell us um, what you do and where you work? Sure. I'm a science and natural history photographer I'm based in Maryland, but I work all around the world. Um, primarily, I photograph scientific expeditions. So I work with scientists in the field to help tell the story about their project. I use photography, I use interviews, audio recordings, video um, to um, tell the story of what their work is, how, why it's important and how they can better communicate that to the general public. That's so interesting. Oh my gosh. I bet that you've like met a lot of really cool people and seen some amazing things in nature. Every project I go on feels like the most amazing thing I've ever learned when I'm in the field. Um, There's nothing quite like being in the field with a scientist because they're, they're always so passionate about their work, whether it's studying a penguin colony, whether it's collecting water samples in the Congo rainforest, whether it's, you know, going to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico in a submersible. Scientists are really, you know, passionate about their work. And it, it always reflects on me when I'm photographing them and covering them and talking to them. Um, So it's tremendously exciting to be working with them in the field because you get to share stories that they're making in real time. And then my challenge is to take those discoveries and make them visually appealing or translate them in a way that the general public can better appreciate. And some of them are harder than others. Yeah, I bet. That is so cool. 
What got you interested in this work that you do? Well, the work that I do right now, the job that I that I've essentially created for myself, um, you know, nobody hires me. I mean, nobody. I'm, I'm not in the employ of of anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. As a freelancer, I work from from gig to gig. So I'm, you know, what I do is I kind of hustle jobs to get to get uh, work from a variety of different institutions, but. Um, what's really fascinating is that this job that I'm in at the moment is, you know, being is, is kind of the the nexus or the confluence of a bunch of different interests of mine over the years. I was an oceanographer oh, wow. um, for a good part of my life, and I only came into photography later in my mid to late 20s and then took my passion for photography, which was growing with my experience and background in oceanography and took those two elements and combined them into the job that I have now, which is photographing science. Yeah, that's so interesting. Oh my gosh. Why do you do this photography and um, just nature work that you do? Well, one of the, well, there's two, two reasons, really. One is I love it. And if you don't, (laughs) if, if you're in the photography business, which is a really difficult business to both to make money in and to get any kind of recognition, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to stand out in, in the photographic field right now. Um, You have to really love it. Um, If you're not totally impassioned with what you're doing, willing to work 18, 20 hour days when you're in the field, uh, you're just not going to make it. And so you have to really want it. Um, yeah. And so that that's the one thing that to me just comes, rises above everything else. If you don't, if you don't really, really love and feel 110% for what you're doing um, as a photographer, it's really difficult to make it. Yeah, I bet. What degrees did you get and where did, did you go to school? So I went to school, I went to high school in Wisconsin, and then after graduating from high school, I got my bachelor's degree in oceanography from the U.S. Naval Academy, which is in Annapolis, Maryland. And from there, I immediately got a fellowship from the Secretary of the Navy to continue school. And so I went to uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution Joint Program in Oceanography, uh, where I got a master's degree. And that's where I really fell in love with science and fieldwork and research. And um, after that, I served in the Navy for a time and was retired or ended my career in the Navy at the rank of lieutenant and then went back to work for Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. So that's my kind of educational background. As far as the photography goes, it was entirely self-taught. I'd taken a few photographic workshops with people that I looked up to as mentors. And, um, and that was it. After that, I just, uh, you know, worked with scientists that I had known basically through my affiliation at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution to get my start. And from there met more people and more people and more people, um, who were interested in what I was doing and wanted to partner with me for projects that highlighted their science. And that's, that's kind of how it took off. That's really interesting. Oh my gosh. So cool. Can you tell us about like some of your favorite um, projects that you've done or like photography pro- projects? 
You've done. Well, one, one thing that became apparent from when I first started doing these projects was I fell in love with the polar regions, which I guess shouldn't be surprising for a kid who grew up in Wisconsin, but because um, I really, really liked it cold. But I still remember <laughs> standing on the deck of the icebreaker, which was the Polar Star, the first icebreaker I ever went on in 2002. It's my first project. I had to make a website, which I'd never done before. I had to write little, you know, daily daily updates and take pictures with, at the time, the only digital camera that that uh, I had was a little Coolpix camera, which is essentially a point <laughs> shoot. I had my full Nikon kit, but it was film. And so I actually couldn't develop the film until I got back from the expedition. So for the purposes of the education project for that first summer, it was all, all done with this little point and shoot camera. And I remember standing on the deck of the icebreaker for the first time and as we entered the sea ice for the first time drifting and it was completely still there wasn't a ripple on the water and i'll just never forget it you know just gliding the icebreaker just gliding in between these ice flows making these occasional collisions with the pieces of ice you know the way you know you could sit out there i was photographing until midnight and beyond the sun is still above the horizon because it's summer and, you know, there's walrus occasionally popping their heads out of the water and Aww. seals. And it was just magical. And at that point, I knew that, um, you know, that my soul, if it were, was, it was, is drawn to these regions. And it's, it was everything that I could do to get back to these places. And I've made a very, <laughs> I've made a very good attempt to spend every summer in the Arctic and, and as many winters as I can in wow. the Antarctic. But um, obviously this summer was different. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just sounds totally mesmerizing. Oh my goodness. What does climate justice mean to you and photography and all that is in between? Well, climate justice. So that's the way I would think about it is, you know, obviously a lot of the projects that I photographed having, you know, working in the polar regions has to do with climate mm -hmm. change and, even that first project that I described in 2002 was um, a long-term study of how currents and, uh, and water masses and ecosystems are changing in response to climate change in the Chukchi and Beaufort Seas. So from the very get-go, almost 20 years ago, um, the projects were, that I photographed were focused on changing climate because they were, um, the Arctic and the Antarctic are feeling the effects of climate change more strongly than other parts of the planet. So really it's amplified there. And, and a lot of the science is focused on how, what that means, not just to those regions, but to the rest of the planet as well, to people who live in Kansas or people who live in France. So, um, but I, you know, bringing it up to the more recent times, uh, last uh, one of the last projects that I did before the pandemic locked everything down was a project for World Wildlife Fund. And I traveled to two different locations in Alaska. And one of the locations was a small village called Port Hyden in Alaska. And I was there with a videographer, a writer, and, uh, and another uh, employee of the World Wildlife Fund. And so we were working on a project talking to Alaskans that had been impacted direct already by climate change and had to adjust their livelihoods as a result of it. And in Port Hyden, they actually had to move their entire village inland a few miles because 
the erosion on the coast had become so strong that it was uh, their houses were in danger of falling into the into the ocean. So we oh, wow. we got to uh, we got to spend a week in that village talking to all the people who live there, interviewing them, photographing the location of the old village and how they were adapting to life, you know, a few miles inland at this new site. And, and it was, it was honestly pretty heartbreaking uh, to talk to some people. Uh, some of the people we interviewed were crying, like at, in the middle of the interview, it was, it was devastating for them. Uh, it made you see how the effects of climate change are not universally uh, distributed across the globe. Some people yeah. are going to be hit more hard than others. You know, I've had similar experiences talking to people in Greenland, in the Siberian Arctic, um, places where the impacts have a more real world or daily um, effect on their lives than say, you know, us living here and maybe in Maryland where, you know, we might get increasing storm frequency, we may get, you know, increasing temperatures, which may uh, cause us to um, spend more money on air conditioning in the summer, things like that, that we can deal with. But, you know, in, in Greenland, you're talking about losing a sled dog community and culture because there's just not, not enough ice to use the sled dogs. So a major change yeah. to a culture. And that's, uh, that gives you an idea just to, to touch on, you know, what it, you know, how climate change is not really the effects of it are not really evenly distributed around the world. And in fact, the folks that are being impacted right now already have really the smallest voice because their mm -hmm. population is not huge. And you're not talking about, you know, lobbyists with billions of dollars that can control things. These are just small communities of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, on a little bit of a different note, what advice could you give to people who want to go into the field of photography? Well, for anyone aspiring to be a photographer and to work, um, I would, of course, encourage them to photograph things that they feel passionate about. As I mentioned before, mm -hmm. if you love it, you will do a much better job at it. And I think one of the most important things for any photographer shooting a story, or photographing a topic that they're really interested in, is you have to know it. You have to know the topic backwards and forwards. So even when I mentioned before, my background was in oceanography. I am not an expert mm -hmm. in penguin science or penguins, for instance. So I had to do a ton of reading before I went down to Antarctica to photograph penguin science so that I had a good idea of what shots to look for, what questions to ask of the scientists, things like that. So you have to, you have to love it. You have to you have to be willing to do the homework too. If you want to be a storyteller, you need to know the story before you get out in the field. Hmm. Yeah, those seem like really valuable pieces of information. Um, what encouragement or hopeful thoughts could you give around our listeners um, around making a difference in this climate crisis? Well, one thing that I've noticed in covering this for the last 18 years is it certainly has led to a, you know, it has become a national conversation now. It, you know, I was encouraged, you know, at, that it's at the last final presidential debates, it was a major topic of conversation. It seems like public, the public 
is starting to really take it seriously as a, you know, number one, two, three issue instead of a number 10, 11, 12 issue. So it's coming mm -hmm. more to the forefront. People are, are becoming more aware that it is a major problem that needs, that needs international cooperation to solve. It's not going to be something that we can kick, kick this can down the road any further. It needs more immediate action. And so the encouraging part um, that I'm seeing is that, is that, yeah, it has, it has become like a major voter issue. So people are, are voting based on, on, on their feelings about climate change. The public opinion about it is, you know, is, is, is very high about uh, trust in the science. So uh, over time it has increased considerably. So that's very good. Yeah, that, that is really good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on to How to Save the Planet. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of How to Save the Planet. See you next time.